<laughs> so there we go. So tell me if I'm too loud. Wow, that's. And it, you know, I, I just realized this. You have me here on a, a day when I stand in in front of uh, lunch, right? Is it going to be one of those situations where we smell it and like you're just waiting for me to be done? I'm, I'm the guy standing in the way of lunch. Uh, anyway, uh, so the Cliffords, right? We reconnect and. Uh, and I said, Sarah, we got to hang with them. Like, uh, James was my boy back in, in growing up years. And more than that, like, like, he's a hunter and a fisherman. Like, there's real skill there and, and expertise. And those are the kind of friends you want to have because when you go with them, they have all the stuff. They know all the spots. So it worked out, right? We got to do that. And we, we came up to Connecticut, what we were saying, maybe like seven or eight years ago. Uh, and we went fishing. And, uh, you know, after three hours on the lake, I think I have a little picture here. We, we had this, right? We just had, like, the smallest. <laughs> look hard. You, you'll see it. That's not a lure. That's a fish. And I said, man, all this, all, all this skill, all this professionalism and expertise. And they got pictures here. I can send it to you. And uh, Sarah said, oh, how's the fishing? And I said, you know what? I, I should have gone with John. I should have gone with John because, uh, like, that's where the skill is. That's where the expertise. <laughs> I should have gone with John. And uh, that was uh, last father-son. The fish were so good. I think the dads were, like, ignoring their sons for a little while. Like, sorry, we were on the lake. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's my intro for this. What would society call you uh, an expert in? Uh, there is a, a well-written-about theory that after you've reached about 10,000 hours, uh, you put in enough time to be considered expert, professional level, right? You've hit that milestone. I, I forget what the math is, something like uh, after... After 12 years, about eight hours a day, you're going to reach that 10,000-hour mark. And that, that just means you have had the repetitions, right? You have seen it all. You have stood in, enough, in front of enough classrooms. You've talked to enough clients. You've seen everything that's going to come your way, and you can handle anything. 10,000 hours. And it's at this point in our passage, uh, in, in chapter of John, in the book of John, where uh, we are with this group of disciples who have spent three plus years with Jesus, right? They're getting close to that 10,000 hour mark. They have been with Jesus. They have walked with him. They know him intimately. They've seen him in front of the masses, right? They've seen him. A battle, uh, the religious elect, but they've also seen him one-on-one, -on -one. and they've seen him with society's outcasts, and they know him. There's probably nobody in all of Scripture who uh, is going to be as close to our loving God than these men with his son. Right? They are if there is a term, professional followers of Christ. They've been with the Savior. 
And yet, these men, they're just regular men, right? They're common, everyday, unextraordinary men. And like us, like regular men, they're going to fail. They're going to fail. And in just a little while, everything is going to come unraveling down on Jesus, right? Men are going to come oppose him, seize him, and take him away. And the scripture tells us today that these men are going to scatter. They're going to scatter like sheep, each going to his own home. And as they leave, as they vanish, so does their, their loyalty and their devotion. All of that is gone as well. Spiritual failure. That's what is forecasted today in our passage. Spiritual forecast is a reality for the Christian, and, and spiritual failure is coming for these men. Again, professional Christians, if we want to call it that. Followers of Christ. And for them, spiritual failure is coming. So I want to, I want to take the, the passage today and the, the little bit of time in front of us and look at it through this lens of spiritual failure and really see how the, the passage is an encouragement for us. Encouragement in the face of spiritual failure. We're in the, the farewell discourse. Right? We're in the, the, the passage of uh, the, the, the chapters here in John where they're up there in the upper room. And uh, again, this is the third Passover uh, that these men have been a part of. And Jesus is uh, addressing his disciples uh, over a meal. Now, there's a time of teaching and, and eating, but instruction too. Forecasting of the events that are coming. And now we're into chapter 16 today, and uh, John set us up last week. Uh, they've probably finished the meal by now. They have finished the meal, and they're on their way to the Mount of Olives, on their way to Gethsemane there. And Jesus is with these men, and all around he sees men who he loves. Right? These are men who don't quite hit the mark spiritually. He's already dismissed Judas, right? Says, go do what you have to do. And uh, Philip and Thomas are over there. They're confused. They're asking questions. And the mood has turned, right? As John told us, John Jr., not, not the writer John. He said that, that trouble is coming. Sorrow is coming for you guys. And so the mood is somber now. And he sees failure. He, he's told Peter, you know, as bold as Peter is, look, your loyalty isn't even going to last through the night. You're going to fail too. And along with confusion and trouble and grief, spiritual failure is coming too. I just want to read the verse that we'll, they'll ultimately get to. Uh, chapter 16 and verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. 
See, these men, friends of Jesus, they've seen the miracles. They've walked with him. They're his close personal friends. They're followers of Christ. They've given up everything, and yet when the light shines the brightest, they're going to scatter. They're going to fail. So I've just four things to pull out of this text this morning. Four considerations for us as we too consider spiritual failure. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you, you know that that's a reality, just like grief, just like confusion over what's happening. Spiritual failure is right there too. So four points to look at. Two points that we can remember about Jesus Christ. And two points that we can uh, remember for ourselves. We'll take the theme that failure is not final. For these men, verse 32 that we read was not final. They didn't stay down. They didn't stay hidden. Failure was not final. Be encouraged, this passage says, by the love and grace that's found in the Lord Jesus. Oh, we look to the Lord and we'll get into this passage here. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your word, these reminders in Scripture. And Heavenly Father, as, as we sang, you are so holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when we think about your holiness, we have these feelings that we can't approach and that our failures are too big. Lord, we don't do the things that you teach us to do. Often we do the things we know we ought not to do. Lord, for a lot of us, Christians a long time, and still fighting these moments of failure. Lord, we commit the time to you. We, we pray that your word would speak, cause us, Lord, to see why these things are important. And we pray in Jesus' name, with thanksgiving, amen. Number one, to overcome spiritual failure... Be encouraged that with Christ there is divine understanding. There's divine understanding. All along we've seen that the Lord is forecasting all of the moments that are going to take place in the coming hours and days and even months. Verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So as we pick up right where we were last week, wanted to connect this with what John had spoken on. There's confusion coming. There's pain coming. But, but take heart. Your sorrow will turn to joy. And in these verses, we see this understanding, divine understanding that the Lord has. See, this part of the night, uh, the disciples had stopped talking as much. The dialogue and conversation became more of a narrative. And the disciples are now listening. The, the mood is somber, and the Lord is telling them the things that are going to unfold. And Jesus knows. 
We remember in verse 12, Jesus knows, right? He says, I, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear it. See, Jesus knows their capacity in the moment. You can't handle the things that I have to tell you. Verse 19, he says, he knows. He knows what they were thinking, and he addressed the things that they are thinking and then later on as we progress, he knows what they're going to do. Jesus knows the present. He knows what's going to happen. Our Savior knows. It's important to, to remember that. That Jesus knows all things. See, in his understanding of these future events, he knew that, verse 32, he knew that coming failure was a part of the night's activities. Right? Jesus knew. And yet this is a word of encouragement. He's not wringing his hands. And he's uh, not dealing with them with disappointment and wrath. He, he's encouraging them. Knowing that they would leave him. Knowing that Judas was already gone. Knowing that Peter, bold Peter, was going to fail. Jesus understands and he wants to encourage them so that they'll press on past the failure. That they'll press through the darkness. Be encouraged, number one, that with our Lord there, <clears throat> there is divine understanding. Not just in the verses here, but throughout this whole passage. There's divine understanding. When we fail, the Lord is not surprised. Confusion is there for us and disappointment. Not for Jesus. He understands. Don't let failure stop you. Number one, to overcome spiritual failure, be encouraged that with Christ there is divine understanding. Divine understanding. Number two, to overcome spiritual failure, be encouraged by your privileged access to God. Verse 23, In that day you will ask nothing of me, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, in my name he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. I'll skip to verse 26. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came from God. See, in the midst of oncoming failure, Jesus tells his disciples that they'll have access to the Father. He says, I'm going away, but you, you talk to the Father in my name. He said that a lot over the past little while. Ask in my name, ask in my name. And here in verse Verses 26 and 27, he clarifies. He, he's not suggesting that, ask me and I'll ask the Father. He said, you go straight to the Father in my name. And they'll have joy in the face of this failure because of their access to God. See, the Father loves Jesus Christ. And he says, when you're, when you're with me, disciples father loves you we hit on some of that in the lord's supper right the 
The father has nothing but approval for his son. And so the note here is that we have this privilege in prayer. We have access to God. And Christians, when we fail, we see it. There's a tendency to pull back, right? There's a tendency to, to think the sin is so grievous that oh, I have to get myself back to a certain level first, right? And we see saints pull away from fellowship or, or, or talking to God. They, they remove that access. There's this conventional, you know, kind of cultural theology that, that we've got to get ourselves back to a, a certain level before we can approach. Certainly the, the other popular religions preach that, right? I have to get myself back to a certain level that if my prayers are going to reach God and be effective, I need to get myself back. Albert Moeller, he says, for the one who trusts in Jesus... This is not our concern. He said the power of our prayers are guaranteed by the power of Christ. That our prayers aren't our accomplishment. Our our words and as much sincerity as we can muster up. It's Jesus Christ's accomplishment. Amen? That we have access to God in Jesus' name. And so that's why we pray in Jesus' name. So the best thing to do upon having these moments of failure is to come to God, is to be here in fellowship. I've been a Christian a long time, right? I've taken the Lord's Supper, and as, the, as Scripture says, examine yourself before you partake. And I've had those Sunday mornings with you when you... Just come to the table and you know, look across the week and you just see failure. Lord, I'm back in this place. And yet the best thing to do is to be right here. Coming before the throne. Claiming access to God through Jesus. It's a privileged access we have to the Father, isn't it? Many of you know uh, Pine Bush. See some veterans out there. Uh, there was a summer once when uh, a kid we knew wanted to be on staff, and and uh, you know, like teenagers do, it, it was driving mom crazy at home, and the behavior was bad. And uh, one particular day, the kid had done some drinking with some friends, and and the mom lost it and said, "That's it." You can't do camp work this summer, right? Because she wanted to take away the thing that would hurt the most. The kid loved to do that, wanted discipline to stick, and took away camp. And I remember thinking, uh, of the things to do, right? Camp is, you would argue, one of the places that a kid can go and get, uh, can be under the sound of the word, can pray with friends, can, can be a part of, Wholesome work that honors the Lord and could grow closer. They can do that there like they can do nowhere else, right? So take away something else, but don't cut off that access. And so it is with Christians, right? We, 
We get down on ourselves with failure and we remove the access to God. We have such a privilege in prayer. I've heard a coach say, and I like this one, he said, don't let the failure beat you twice, right? You, you blow it in a game and, and lose it for your team. That's it. Leave it there. Don't carry that failure into the next practice and the next practice and into, into your life. So it is with us. The Lord wants his disciples acknowledging that failure is coming to get back and get back into ministry and service for the kingdom. Jesus says uh, failure is coming. We remember that there is, with the Lord, there is divine understanding. There's access to God in Jesus' name. Right? We go to God based on the merit of Jesus Christ. Number three, to overcome spiritual failure, be encouraged that there is hope in Christ for future spiritual growth. Future spiritual growth. Right? We look at verse 25 for that. We, we skipped it. We'll come back to it. Verse 25, Jesus said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Figures of speech, uh, some translations say Proverbs and parables. The Lord knows that uh, he's saying some things that they won't quite understand. Again, because he knows their capacity and he knows the things that they need to deal with. But he said, take heart, you will understand them. You will understand When we fail and when there is confusion, we can be encouraged that it's possible that in his grace, the truth will reveal itself later. And the Lord does this. He says these things, these things that he's been talking to them, both both in in these passages here, but probably for the last three years. Things that he's been telling them, you're going to understand. You're going to have future spiritual growth. We've seen a few of those things happen, right? The Lord says that uh, if you destroy this temple, he'll raise it back up in three days. There was confusion over that statement and understanding later. Even that night said that uh, he dismissed Judas. Judas, go do what you need to do. The disciples thought he was speaking about financial things. Take care of the, the money situation. And they understood later. Future spiritual growth. Future understanding is a reality for us. Praise the Lord that we have the book of Acts. Right? We read in Acts 1 verse 3, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. He presented himself alive appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, failure wasn't final for these men. After Jesus presented himself to the disciples and started revealing these things, they went on to change the world, each one of them. Right? We, we have the traditions that each one of them took it all the way to death, these disciples, martyred in horrific ways, 
right? We read that they were slaughtered and beheaded and crucified upside down. Why would any of them do that unless they had this future spiritual growth? They had understanding of the things of Jesus' ministry. We need to get past failure. The disciples needed to get past that moment of failure when they deserted the Lord. Where on the other side there is future spiritual growth. The thing that caused pain and now leads to spiritual fruit. There is hope for future spiritual growth. For us, there's there's so many things that play out that are so confusing at the time. In His grace, He tells His disciples to hang in there. You will understand. When When our confusion causes us to doubt or causes us to fail. Be encouraged that there, with Christ, there's, it's possible that there's future spiritual growth. Some things we may not know till heaven, right? But there is possible that, a possibility that, that Christ, in his grace, would reveal it to us too. Uh, number one, when you, spare, when you fail spiritually, be encouraged that there's divine understanding. Number two, be encouraged that in Christ we have a a privileged access to God through prayer. Number three, there is future understanding. Be encouraged. Number four, and lastly, to overcome spiritual failure, be encouraged that with Christ there is divine compassion. Divine compassion. Started with divine understanding. Let's finish this passage with divine compassion. Reading in verse 28. I've come from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that all things, uh, we, know, we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you come from God. Jesus answered them, do, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, the Father is with me. Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me read 33 one more time. I I have said these things to you, these things from today, but from this whole passage, probably the whole three years with Jesus. I've said these things to you. Not that you'll have condemnation. Not that you'll have disappointment, that I'll have disappointment, but that in me you will have peace. In the world you have 
you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, these are the last, some of the last words. Here in chapter 16, the last words of Jesus before his disciples. He's going to pray for them in chapter 17. And then it's off to the garden for some alone time with his father. And then he's handed over to the Romans. So these are the final words, and it's really encouraging to note that failure is not final. Failure is not fatal. This is going to end in triumph. If you take the progression here, or underline or circle, just notice how he goes here in verse 30. Uh, disciples say, oh, we understand. 31, uh, oh, oh, really? It's uh, more of a question. You, you, you think you understand. Verse 32, you're going to fail. You're going to desert me. But verse 33, in me there's peace. Come back, come back to me after you've deserted. Come back. So we see compassion of our Savior here. All throughout this portion we see compassion and I find it really interesting in this passage what's not said. Just in, in, in reading through and preparing the study, did you notice anything that, that perhaps was not said? I notice here that Jesus does not talk about himself very much. In all that is happening, he has a few broad stroke details that he's going away. So he's completely focused on his friends. He wants to provide for them encouragement and joy beyond their sorrows, confusions, failures. See, this is the most, uh, some of the darkest parts of Scripture, and everything is coming down on the Lord, and he's going to be under the most intense pressure and stress. And that's happening right now in these verses, and he's not going to talk about that. I mean, let's be honest, in the face of what Jesus is facing, what's happening to the disciples is not comparable by any measure. Right? Jesus is the one who perhaps needs the most ministering to. He's the one that needs encouragement. He's the one that could have his disciples rally around him and, and tell him to hang in there. And it's the compassion of Christ that we see that he is 100% focused on giving the disciples the encouragement they need to pass through this time. So much compassion. We sing uh, at our chapel, you, you probably sing it here too, just about the love of, of Christ, the love of God. Uh, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God. It's a great song, right? If you if you do sing it or heard it on the radio, uh, there's a guy at our chapel, quietest guy in the group. Uh, one of our music folks. One day we came in and the words were changed. This is just between us, right? Because we don't have permission to do that. Just between us and Facebook. The words were, uh, oh, the never-ending, 
Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, selfless love of God. He said, Dave, why'd, why'd you do that? He said, well, if you look up the definition of reckless, it is to do something without care or concern for what happens. And he said, guys, that's kind of the opposite of what Jesus did. It's the opposite of what the Father did in his plan for salvation. He says, you know, you're kind of right. It's important to see the, the compassion here. And Jesus is not talking about himself. He's going to do that with the Father, right, in private. Coming up soon, he's going to go before the Father. But here, fully focused on his disciples. Our Savior is full of compassion. He, he, he wants to provide encouragement. In me, there is peace. In the Savior, there's peace. Number one, uh, be encouraged. Overcome spiritual failure. Be encouraged that there's divine understanding. Number two, be encouraged uh, to overcome spiritual failure by our privileged access to God in Christ. Be encouraged that there's potential for future spiritual growth. Be encouraged that there's divine compassion there. To close, we um, had a good night of fellowship last night. Uh, some of the Brantford boys, we watched the basketball games. Great hospitality. I love basketball. It's, it's my game. I played it all the way through, and while I have my 10,000 hours there. I'm by no means a professional. I, you know, with basketball, and we saw it last night, the, one of the most common injuries uh, is to land wrong, right? To go up, collect a rebound, and your feet come down off balance, usually on, on someone else's foot. And the way the announcers replay it a million times, it's ghastly to look at. Uh, I did this, right, a bunch of times growing up. My senior year, I rolled my ankle early on, pretty bad. It gave me a lot of pain. Um, a week went by, felt a little better. A couple weeks went by, you know, pretty strong. And then, you know, by midseason, back to full strength. And even as the got near the end of the season, I said, Coach, this ankle, you know, it's stronger than ever. It's probably stronger than before I sprained it. He's repaired itself, and there's growth. And then the very next game, not even a sprain. I just wiggled my ankle, a, a, a little vibration, I would call it. And electricity shot through my body like I had just done it yesterday. Like the pain was so raw and so severe that I was lying on the ground thinking there was no growth, no strength at all in that ankle. And so it is with the Christian life, right? You've been a Christian like me for a long time. You've been through VBS and Awana and Sunday school and camp. And I, I have an extra measure. I was an MK. And uh, I should be so far along with strength and growth. And then something comes along and, and it just levels me. Isn't that the way with 
when we fail spiritually? There's probably not a, a, a pastor who, speaker who hasn't stood behind this pulpit that have had those moments when they, they come before the Lord and they say, I feel like a fraud. Failure is not final. Wasn't final with these men. They went on to start the church. We can be encouraged by the story. We can be encouraged by what the disciples went on to do. We can be encouraged by our position in the family of God through Jesus Christ. If you're out there or or listening and and maybe you're not that 10,000-hour Christian, maybe you're just new to the faith or, or searching, you will fail. There will be spiritual failure like the disciples had. Look to the Lord and we remember that there's divine understanding there. There's privilege and access to the Father. There's potential for future spiritual growth and there's divine compassion. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. We don't know what that night would have been like. We're encouraged by these men, knowing that we're a lot like them. Lord, we, I pray for this body of believers, for myself, that when spiritual failure comes around, we would not stay down. Lord, help us to return to you that we could be busy about the work of the Lord and growing your kingdom. Turn our hearts to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.